Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this day, for all that you have blessed us with, for the privilege of studying your word. We ask that you would give us wisdom and direction and hope uh, in in you and in your word, and we ask that we would be sensitive today as you teach us. In Christ's name, amen. So if you would just turn with me, we're going to look in Colossians chapter, um, hold on just a second. I do want to say something real quick. There, I think this it doesn't bother me, but it may bother some of you. I think, where's, is Ryan in here? Or somebody that's, no, he's, okay. I don't see him. Oh, there he is. Okay, cool. I think these may be somehow this unit's like on air, like it's blowing cold air. I don't want any of y'all freezing. And so you can just, I think if you flip that, I just realized that like when I got up here, I was like, boy, that doesn't feel like heat. Uh, it feels like air, and that's kind of weird. I think the rest of them are on heat. But anyway, we're changing. You would, If you had been around here, you would notice that we have changed some things with regard to our air conditioning system. But all, everything hasn't been programmed yet because they're still working on all that stuff. So uh, that, that somehow got there. So anyway, if you just put it on heat, I think that would probably do. Okay, you all ready? Um, we are studying Colossians. And we've been in it for a while. And if you're visiting today, that's what we normally do. We look at books of the Bible. And uh, what we do is we have a study guide that's written every week. And then uh, you can study it. And then there's a discussion. And then uh, I will teach on the passage that you would have been studying all week. And then uh, we will do some application of that on Wednesday night. So it's like a four-step process for you to know and understand uh, God's Word. And one of the things for us is we think uh, repetition helps you kind of helps cement within you the things that you need to to grow and understand. And so for some of you, you may have uh, grown up in church and you studied a bunch of different things. You went to Sunday school, Wednesday night, maybe a Sunday night thing, uh, Sunday morning service, and everything was disconnected for us. We just connected it all. And we made one central text every week. We think over the long haul that will pay enormous dividends, and we have seen that happen in people's lives. So uh, just encourage you, if you're not involved in there, would like to know more about it, we'd love to let you uh, see more about that. So uh, we've been studying Colossians, and here's the thing. We have been learning about the pathway to Christian maturity. That's really our goal, is uh, for you to be mature. Like we, we, uh, Christianity is not something like, let's say you picked up tennis, and you wanted to play tennis, and so you picked it up, and you said, uh, I'm going to go take some lessons and that kind of thing. Hopefully, if you were taking lessons, you would take it serious. Uh, but you would say, I kind of like that. I picked it up for a little while, and then I left it a little bit later. Um, for me, uh, I would say, you know, with tennis, that's cool, right? Pick it up, put it down, you know, wh- whatever. But with regard to um, the the Christian life, it's not a pick-up, put-down kind of thing. What weighs in the balance is eternity. And so we are trying to help you understand uh, the things that matter most, the things of heavenly weight, the things that will matter uh, 10,000 years from now. And we think that requires not silliness and foolishness, but a, 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 a commitment to really thinking clearly and understanding Uh, exactly as the Lord would have us live and and be in those things. So we have left kind of what we're about to to do is we're going to move in this book from thinking about our union with Christ and um, correcting some doctrinal 
errors to moving to a practical application of that in all of life. That's, that's kind of where we are. So if you're here this morning, we're going to pick up some of the old and then move forward into uh, the new. And so uh, the, the new day is dawning. We're kind of leaving behind these kind of false things and saying, hey, this is how you live in light of all that has been done for you. And by the way, if you'll just look at your text real quick, if you look at 220 um, through 23, you will see that they connect really well with 3, 1 through 4. And so we're looking at 3, 1 through 4 mainly today, but I'm going to pick up the, the, the end of chapter 2 again and talk to you just for a moment. Now, if we were having, if you had a strategy for uh, growing in Christ's likeness and stopping like sinning, some people would come up with a lot of different things for you to stop sinning and instead do, you know, maybe the right things or just have the deal of like stop sinning. And so here's the thing, and this is kind of the thing that, that you need to think about. The Christian life, the way it's taught by the Apostle Paul, it is not a strategy. It's not a strategy. It is driving you to a person. So in most things in your life, you pick up strategies to do stuff. Uh, the Christian life is about driving you to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to look at that today. I want you to look at verse 23, though, because like I said, we're going to think about two for a minute and then hop into uh, chapter three. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom of a promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is basically what he's saying. The strategy taught by the false teachers for you to grow into Christian maturity, although they may be very rigorous, they're not feeding your soul. They're not. They're not rescuing you. And so as you think about that, I was thinking... Uh, if you've, I don't know if you've read different news, I'm sure you don't get like the farmer's journal or anything, but if you are keeping up with uh, uh, fertilizer for some reason, you would realize that the price of fertilizer has tripled uh, this year. So one of the things about that, if you mow your lawn, you're like, go and get a bag of uh, fertilizer and it's like not a big deal. But if you were saying like, I've got to mow uh, 200 acres, and I've got to grow grass and make it beautiful and perfect, you'd be like, oh no, what am I going to do? Uh, the same way if you were raising crops or anything like that, those things are, uh, fertilizer is tough to find right now. Why? Because Russia produces about 50% or more of the things that you need to create fertilizer, right? And so that makes uh, life a little bit difficult for someone who's growing things. Now, why do we say that? Why do I talk about that? In the Christian life, when we say, hey, we need fertilizer, we need something to feed, to feed the soul, um, you uh, understand that, that there may be a lot of people out there telling you a lot of different things that might feed the soul, but it may not be. And uh, what's happening right now is there are people out there running around trying to find stuff that you can put on the soil and make things grow that are not the traditional things, or that might produce the same thing, and so they're looking for all that stuff. Well, people do that in their Christian life, and you may say something like, hey, how can I kind of uh, speed up my Christian growth? And you come up with all these kind of things, looking for the fertilizer, right? And we have to be really careful because we have to say, what I put into my life, spiritually speaking, is of utmost importance. And this morning, Again, that's how we're thinking. I think we need to think about it. You have to get to that place where you say, 
what is the proper food to grow my spiritual life? Not stun it and kill it. What's the proper food? And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to grow into maturity. I do not want counterfeit fertilizer in my life. I just don't. Why? Because uh, you're playing with my soul. I don't need a counterfeit that will burn it up. You know? It's nuts. Like, and so I want to be really careful in that. And so that's kind of where we are thinking. I know I'm spending a little more time because I want you to think clearly about what we're doing. What we're trying to say is, is these false teachers are trying to give them things that will actually ruin them spiritually. And we want things that will actually grow you spiritually. Um, I just want you to look real quick, just uh, at 220 through 23. I I want you to just glance at this. Notice what they say in verse 21. Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. What, What are they saying? They're saying you can't do this. And then... Um, they, they are saying, verse 23 says, they have the appearance of wisdom promoting self-made religion, but it's, it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't grow you up. It doesn't allow you to fight against your sin. And so that's kind of, that's the dangerous situation that they find themselves in. Now, let's just say about Christianity real quick, because some of you probably grew up in uh, the church, and maybe you have all these ideas about it, and a lot of you might say, I became a Christian I was baptized, and then I learned how to keep all the rules to keep myself right with God. And basically, Christianity to you is an external, uh, it's, it's an external thing. It is like, it's a rule-keeping thing. You're on a rule-keeping mission. And you may not live up to them, but you think I've made up for it in other ways. And so, you think Christianity is about keeping the rules and their rituals to perform. And so it's like a surface kind of behavioral approach to Christianity. But Christianity is not that way. Christianity is an inside out. It is God working in you so that it works out of you. It is the Spirit of God moving in you so that it works out of you. Christianity is about a new birth, a new heart. A transformation. And so that's what Paul says. It's not worldly religion thinks about behavior. The gospel changes the heart and affects the behavior. That, that's, that's, that, that is a huge difference. That's a huge difference, and I want you to kind of see that this morning. The heart of the matter is really what has he done for our hearts. You saw Israel in the Old Testament. They couldn't do anything about, really, ultimately, they would get the external laws and they would rebel against them. Finally, God said... I will give people a new heart so that they will love me and live for me. And so we're looking at that again. We're looking at that today. We do not want an external religion that damns earthly, worldly religion. We want a heavenly religion, a religion where Christ comes down to save us from ourselves. And so that's where we are. And so that's kind of what we're thinking about. Now we're going to go to Colossians 3 verse 1, but before we do, I just want you to look at one last little section here. I want you to turn back in Colossians. In Colossians 1.14, it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, speaking of Jesus. Colossians 1.22 says, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Colossians 2.10 says, and you have been filled in him 
who is the head above all rule and authority. 2.11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. So what, what is all that about? It's saying you have been transformed. Christianity is about changing you. And so we're kind of saying now, like, how do I feed my heart so that I can move towards the path of obedience? That, that's really where we're at. I want to feed my heart so that I can move towards the path of obedience. Let's look at the first part of that. In verses 1 and 2, seek the things above. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. So this is an engagement. This is not like, oh, I'm passive. Even though I'm saying, we're saying like, hey, you've been brought to life. But then, you're, but then he says, if you've been brought to life, which we would say, if you're here and you're in Christ, you have. You were crucified with him, buried with him, rose again with him. Spiritually, you are alive. Set your mind on the things above. It's not passive. It's seeking and pursuing. You are to resolve to seek the things above. Maybe before you were like kind of driven by being, you know, ashamed or or thinking like God's against you and all those kind of things. But now you're saying, no, God is for me. His son died for me. My life is with him and he is raised and therefore I am raised and I want to live in light of that. Seek the things above. So you kind of have to ask yourself, what is your mind fixed on? Is it on the things above? So what would that even look like? I think it's it's seeking Christ. It is seeking to see him. He has given himself to you. He intercedes for you. He was victorious for you. And you're reflecting on the seated Christ who came, lived, died, buried, rose again, ascended into heaven. And, and you're thinking about what he has done and who he is. It's, it's motivating your life. It's capturing a vision of that in your mind. What he has done. I'm seeking him. I'm looking for towards him i look at him as my redeemer savior the one who has transformed me the focus is not on me and not just reforming my life the focus is on him and it motivating me to walk away from the things that i might once cherished i, I, I he becomes the passion of my life titus 2 11 through 14 says for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from, every, uh, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. When? Now. As they think about their Savior, what He's done, there's a motivation. As they think about their Savior and what He's done, they know there's transformation. They're setting their minds on the fact that He has done a work for them and in them, and He's doing a work through them, and He has these purposes and plans for us. So the focal point is not on, like, I need to make myself a good Christian. I need to be a better Christian. You know, like you hear people say that. 
It's like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not going to be able to do that. Like, he did not come here and die and was buried and rose again because you can make yourself a better Christian. And you can reform your behavior. If it was just about behavioral kind of reform, if that was all that it was, then and you could do it, you don't need him. You don't need conversion. You don't need the new birth. You don't need the spirit. You know? And so he's saying, set your minds on all that Christ has done and walk in the victory and power of that. Move to a place to where you're motivated by not appeasing him, but pleasing him. And by saying, like, I want to see him pleased with my life. I want to look at him and be so enamored about what he has done. I want to set my gaze on that in such a way that it drives all of my life, that I consider him more valuable than the sin that sometimes grips my heart. I see him more glorious. I see him more wonderful. He's the focal point. Seek the things above where Christ is. Live by the inside out principle of like he has changed my heart. He has worked in me. He has given me life. He is the raised savior and he is victorious over sin, death, hell and the grave. And I can walk with him and and know him and I'm in intimate relationship with him and I'm united to him and all the benefits of that are mine in Christ. Live in light of that. Delight in Him. The thing is, is trying to stir the delight. It's almost like fanning the flame of your heart towards Christ. It's meditating on that and thinking deeply about that. That's why we get you to study the Bible. Just go to the source. Read the Bible. Read it and read it and read it. Discuss it. Hear it preached. Like... Like that's why we sing the way we do. Sing these songs, not just any song, not a song about how much you love Jesus and how much you are going to give your life over to him and how much whatever, but reflecting on him, seeing him. We're trying to put him before you as he is revealed in, in the pages of Scripture with song so that it comes back to your mind. So you see him as the chief treasure. So that something like the wonderful cross is in your heart and in your mind where you're surveying all that Christ has done. Where you're sitting there and you're saying like, let me see a movie stream moving through my head of all that he has done from beginning to end and let me see him there now as the seated sovereign of the universe. And then let it be that my heart says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let that be the thing. Because if it's just saying to you, you've become a Christian now, these are the four or five rules that if you do them, God's going to be like okay with you. That never really worked in the past and it doesn't work in the present what what the what works is is that you get a glimpse of what he has done in your heart overwhelmed with gratitude then wants to live for him wants to please him 
wants to walk in the strength he provides, wants to see him as the one who has interceded and then offer your life back to him. So we not only seek the things above, we also remind ourselves of the, our present and future. So let's just look at that real quick in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here, here's the thing. This is like saying your death is behind you. This is kind of one of those things where you're like, what does that mean? Right? If you are in Christ, you have died. Not only uh, have you died in the sense of uh, uh, maybe to, to um, s- some of the like entanglements of this life. He's saying you have died and all that Christ did in his death are now yours. You've sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated because it, it's all that he accomplished in his death. Like God has been satisfied. God's wrath against you satisfied. You you have died. You you no longer, you know, you don't know you no longer live as you did before. You've died with Christ. And you could say, I'm not going to die for my sins. I'm not going to pay for my sins. Christ did that. And by virtue of my union with him, I, I, I no longer am under his curse or wrath and all that. They just keep, you got to kind of remind yourself of that. The worst is behind you. There's a guy, um, uh, Mike Smith, that many of you know, and he had surgery. And one of the things, um, just uh, I read a text uh, from his wife just saying, you know, he, he had thought about some of the pain, but he, there were other things he just hadn't thought about when you're, thinking about surgery you just don't think about all the stuff that 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 you might feel but the reality is is even though physically we may experience trouble the worst the worst of the trouble is behind why because we are no longer under God's wrath and curse we will no longer feel or face the judgment of God you may face judgment from men They may condemn you in every way. They may be pointing the finger at you all the time, telling you how you're not doing this right or that, you know, and like running you ragged. But that reality is, is like that is not, ultimately you just could say in your head, like what can man do to me? You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now here's the thing, this is crazy. This is security. It is as if you've been bound up, right? And you're secure. You have fellowship with him. Your life is hidden with him. There, there's security there. That, that's just an awesome truth. It, it's like um, all of that, and, and you kind of see it as, as uh, I think it's important, that, that all of that is, is building into you like, I'm hidden in him. I'm kept in him. I'm secure in him. Um, that That's a really powerful truth. But also, so the worst is behind you. And in the present, you're with him. And he has you. He has you. So it doesn't really matter what the enemy throws at you. He has you. He's protecting you. That's one aspect of that. 
But also, I think it's just important. So we see the security. But then the other thing is that this is what makes that hard. It's when you're trying to live the Christian life, sometimes like when you look in the mirror, you say, here's a picture when I wasn't a Christian. Here's a picture when I am a Christian. And nothing changed. You forget. Like, it's your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's sometimes hidden from you. It can be hidden from other people. It's like when Jesus walked on this earth, people saw him. They didn't, they didn't all say, oh, it's Jesus. I know he's the son of God. I believe in him. I mean, most of them are like wrapped around him, either pushing him off a cliff or later saying crucify him. But this reality is, is that you are presently, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the fullness of that is yet to be seen. So we have to believe that we have to. That's part of what it means to seek the things above is to grasp that that your present reality with Christ in the heavenly places, you are secure and you have fellowship. You have intimacy. You're not saying, well, I don't feel like my prayers are heard. You know what? What? What are you talking about? You're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. What do you mean your prayers aren't heard? You're united to the Son. Your prayers are heard. He's interceding for you. The Spirit's interceding on your behalf beyond what you can even know to pray. And so all of those things are great realities. The past is dealt with. And the present, you are seated with Him. So you have to see that. That should create delight in you. Security, fellowship, it's there. And it kind of propels obedience so that you say, because of this, because my death, ultimately, my my eternal death has been secured. Christ, He experienced all that I should experience as a substitute for me so that when I'm united to Him by faith, I don't have to face that. That's past me. And my present is I am with him even though physically, tangibly, I can't see it. Now, so there's kind of the, the, the past element and really kind of the present element. But now the future. Look at verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What what is he saying? One day the hiddenness will be gone. One day where you say, well, I can't see Jesus right now. He's not here. One day that will be gone. One day he will appear. But, But not only that, when he appears, you will appear. Now, what does that mean? It means you will be like him. It means you will be transformed in a moment. It means that right now when you say, I don't know if I've ever been changed. I don't understand. Right now your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're secure. You have fellowship, but you can't see it. And sometimes you just can't stand that. And you think, I don't even feel that way. One day when he appears, you will appear. One day when he appears, all the rebel armies that are against God's people, you say, 
What do you mean by that? People aren't killing Christians. Yes, they are, one. Two, but there are people killing people in the world that they're killing Christians with no knowledge, not because they hate Christians, but just because they love power or glory or whatever, and they'll destroy anyone. That's happening all over the world. But one day, people will see not only Christ appear, but His people appear with Him in glory. You will be standing with Him one day. And what you can only see by faith will be sight. The things that you are like kind of struggling with right now and you say, I can't get over this sin. I can't fight against this thing. One day, those things will go away forever. One day when you see Him, the Scripture says, you will be like Him. So it is, I think it's important to just remind yourself, seek the things above. Where Christ is, you are with Him now, and the realities of where you are now will come to fruition in the future with Him. So seek the heavenly things where you're saying, I've died with Christ, I'm no longer condemned, I live with Christ, He's given me life and access and the ability to pray to Him and intimacy and security, and one day, that thing that is hidden, the real person that I am in Christ, will be revealed. And I, and, and I will be with Him in glory. I will be transformed. I will be renewed. So that if you are in Christ, that's what you look forward to. So in the present... It's not about saying, give me some more rules that I can follow so that God will accept me. It is saying, you are, you are accepted in the beloved. You are loved in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. You have been transformed in Christ. Your life is with Christ. Know that. That's seeking the things above. Believe that. Beg at God, give me the eyes of faith to understand that all that Christ did in His life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and Him seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father right now, all of that is mine with Him. That's what seeking the things above is. His glory his glory, understanding that and grasping that and understanding and embracing it. it. When you can fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, then you can follow Him. And you can follow Him through different difficult troubles in this life. And you can say, when your eyes are really fixed, these light and momentary afflictions have nothing to compare to the glory that's to be revealed. So, when you think about feeding, fertilizing your Christian life, you know, like really, and again, if you don't want that, you're probably just not a Christian. Like if you don't ever have a heart for those things, 
just say to yourself, like, maybe I'm not a Christian. I, 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 I might be a legalist. I might be a religious person. I might have uh, thought Christianity was a good idea. I like keeping rules anyway. They set the rules up for me. I did those. Yes, they're not really transforming me. Yes, my heart's never in it. Yes, I've never really, really, really loved people, desired good for them. I have thought about myself 99% of the time all of my life, and maybe just need to say, of course you have. You must be born again. You've never believed the gospel. Maybe that's where you are today. We have plenty of that in this area. People that grew up in church that are dead spiritually. Plenty of that. And they can work themselves into whatever frenzy, religious frenzy they want to. It will not transform their heart. You must be born again. That's why you can't ever forgive anybody. That's why you hold everything against people. That's why you're constantly like negative and backbiting and tearing into people because you really haven't had a heart change. Because you think Christianity is about you fixing you. That's what you think it is. And Jesus is kind of a, a help. But Christianity is not that. Christianity is that you know that we could not fix ourselves. And no amount of religious ritual or actions or starving ourselves out will really change our hearts. We must be born again. We must be born again by the Spirit. We must experience the saving life of Christ. We must believe in the gospel that Christ alone saves. And then we must seek to think about the things above. We must set our minds towards those things. We must pursue them. We must look to Him as the food and the fuel and the fruitfulness of our life. We must seek those things, pursue them, chase them, track them down, hold on to them, seize them, gaze at them. We need those things. And the only way we get there is by stopping and saying regularly, what does the gospel teach? The gospel teaches that my death has been dealt with and that life has been given to me. The gospel teaches that I have been forgiven. The gospel teaches I'm no longer under God's curse. The gospel teaches that I have fellowship with God. The gospel teaches that I have a new life a new motivation, new desires, a transformed heart. That's what the gospel teaches. And the gospel doesn't leave you there. The gospel points you to the reality of the glory to come. And so when we are baptizing people, we are saying you are buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in a newness of life. We are saying that someone who, that all of Christ's death Everything that was accomplished there and all of His resurrection is yours in Christ. We're we're displaying that. He is the fuel. And we keep reminding one another on Sundays, in the morning, at lunch, in the evening. We don't coast. We keep moving towards the pathway, the mindset of seeking Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom. 
Wisdom not to buy into lies. Wisdom not to buy into worldliness, which is seeking earthly things to try to move forward in our spiritual life. May our hearts be fertilized with the gospel message as we reflect on the wonder of all the glorious realities that are ours in Christ. May we never back away from that. May we treasure it in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand with me at this time. Every week we take the Lord's Supper in the back.